0: Uh, If you have a Bible with you, which uh, I really hope that you do, Uh, if you don't have one, uh, we have some in the back. Uh, I'll be teaching from the ESV, Uh, it's the English Standard Version, and uh, we really encourage you to open up God's Word, look at it for yourself, uh, so you can make sure that what I'm saying is coming from uh, the Word of God. Uh, We'll be in Romans chapter 10 this morning. Romans chapter 10. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, don't be afraid to ask somebody around you for some help. Uh, Romans is after the book of Acts. Uh, You have the gospel, then the acts of uh, the apostles, really the acts of the Holy Spirit working through uh, the apostles, but then you have uh, Romans uh, after that. So uh, Romans chapter 10, uh, the big numbers are the chapters, the small numbers are the verses. We'll be looking at verses i uh, really focusing in on verses 5 through 17, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Once you have Romans chapter 10, 1 through 17 open, you can look up. Once I see a majority of eyes, I will begin to read, and then I'll pray and ask God for his help. Romans chapter 10, verse 1, would you hear the word of God? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We pray and ask God for his help. Father God, before us we have a passage that needs clarification. That clarification is only provided through your Spirit's work in and through preaching of your word. So, Father, I ask that you would help me as I proclaim the goodness of God to your people, as we're reminded of the call to go and to share the good news that Christ has done what man cannot do, and that is create a way to reconcile us to our creator. So, Father, we ask what we know not you would teach us. What we are not, you would make us, and what we have not, you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. So we are in week four, final week of our Family Values series. So we've looked at some of the distinct characteristics and qualities that we want to be known as when people think of us as a church, and today we look at our fourth value, deployment. Now, CCF defines deployment as this. It's a working definition for us to all wrap our mind around. It says, the Christian's call to gospel action in all areas of life. It's the Christian's call to gospel action in all areas of life. See, the Bible commands followers of Jesus to live a lifestyle committed to making his name known. I mean, that we are called to do that. That is our instruction. And then we we see that deployment really plays out anywhere that we naturally find ourselves individually, uh, whether that's our homes, our community. Our neighborhood, right, Uh, whether that's our job, our school, in the classroom, whatever relationships you may have, uh, wherever you may frequently visit to get your coffee, to get lunch, uh, the store you stop at to get gas, wherever you are, you are sent on mission. So the values that we've looked at over the past few weeks really culminate here. Really lead us to this. If we look at doctrine, discipleship, and devotion, it should really produce a profound commitment to gospel action in every area of our life. Or another way to put it is that the cause and effect of holding to sound doctrine, being truly discipled, and being committed to a family of believers that are. Genuinely devoted to one another, caring for one another's physical and spiritual needs, is the resolve to then tell others that this reality can also be theirs. It's what happens. It's a natural progression. I have to do this. You have to do this. It's called evangelism. It's something that we do. We go and we tell We're brought into the family of God, and then we are sent out to share the good news. We're deployed to tell others the good news of the gospel. We're sent on a mission. Now, we all know what deployment means in terms of uh, military terms. It's when troops are sent out for action, right? They're deployed to go and do something. There's a job that has to be done. There's a mission that has to be completed. Uh, If you've seen the new Top Gun movie, Maverick, it's a great movie. I don't watch a lot of movies, but it's a really good movie. And uh, you know that in that movie, there's a mission. There's something that has to be accomplished. And then there's training for that mission. There's preparation to uh, engage with that mission. And then they, they really plan and prepare for the day of deployment, when they will go to fulfill the mission. And on that day of deployment, they have one goal in mind, fulfill the mission. It doesn't matter what gets in their way. It doesn't matter what what opposition comes to them. They have to accomplish the mission regardless of what happens. Brothers and sisters, we must ask ourselves, are we committed to the mission that has been given to us by our Savior? Right? Like, are we really committed to this mission? Do you consider yourself one that has been deployed to share the gospel wherever the Lord may have you? Because this is how you think of the Christian life. You think of it as one that we have a job to do. And my prayer today is that as we look at this passage in Romans chapter 10, you will either A, some of us will develop an understanding of your call to a life of deployment for the first time. That's, that's a portion. Or B, that some of us will be renewed in our commitment to deploy, to be deployed, to share the gospel wherever the Lord may have you. Wherever you are in this time of your life, it's not an accident. The Lord has you where he wants you. He knows what you need, and he he takes away what you don't need. How will you proceed? I want to make four observations as we look at this passage in relation to our call to deployment. There will be four observations as we look at this. One, we'll see a profound reminder. A profound reminder. Two, we'll see our God-given responsibility. Our God-given responsibility. Three, we'll see an unfortunate refusal, and four, we'll see a steadfast reality. So we'll see a reminder, responsibility, refusal, and then reality. Now, some of these will I'll spend more time on. Uh, some of them uh, will not. So uh, the first two are a little bit longer. Uh, so those that are like, if, if, if we spend this much time on each point, we will be here until tomorrow. Um, Now we can, I'm okay with that, but uh, we uh, will not spend as much time on each one of these observations, Um, so the last two are a little bit quicker than the first. But I've got to give us a a quick uh, introduction, orientation to the book of Romans so you understand what's going on here in this passage. Romans is considered one of the greatest books of the Bible. John Calvin once said, when anyone understands this epistle, speaking of Romans, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. Very important book. Uh, Romans is indeed Paul's most comprehensive outline of Christian doctrine. There's nowhere else in the Bible that gives us a better snapshot of each of the fundamental Christian Doctrines that we must live by. Chapters 9 through 11 of Romans addresses a spe- very specific and significant issue. There's something particular going on here. And it's that the place of Israel in the purpose and plan of God's salvation. That's what's happening here. He's addressed this from 9 to 11. He's talking about where's Israel's place in God's story. In these chapters, Paul expounds on the fact that God's plan is not failed just because Israel has rejected Christ. We, we know that this is their history. They rejected the Messiah largely. But Paul reminds his reader that God's plan of salvation will not fail regardless of human response or perspective. Now, Paul is burdened. I mean, he is truly burdened that his fellow Jews have largely rejected the message of Christ. Uh, we read in chapter 9 uh, where he says in verse 1, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow, Mrs. Paul talking here about what's going on in his mind as he's writing this letter. He says I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And then he says something very profound here in verse 3. He says, "For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh, And then he goes on to really, okay, here's who I'm talking about. They are Israelites, and to them belong. And he gives us a list of things. But he essentially says here, like, if I could, I care so much about these people that, like, I would neglect my own salvation. I would give up my own salvation if it meant that each and every one of them were truly saved. Then he reiterates his concern again in verse 1 of chapter 10. We just read this, right? He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. It's like I care about the salvation of my brothers and sisters. So we see Paul's not taking this lightly. He is Burdened by the fact that people are rejecting the gospel and that they are lost. He has concern for the lostness of those around him. And listen, church, we, we have to pause and ask right now, do we feel that same burden? Do we really care about the lostness and the rejection of the gospel of our family, friends, neighbors, and those across the globe. If not, we need to ask God to give us a passion to renew our zeal, to evangelize, to take firm the call, to hold fast to what we have been called to do to share the good news that has been offered to us. And see, we must remember that it is only by grace that any of us are saved in the first place. It's only by God's grace, it's only by God's grace that we become covenant members of God's family, that he brings us in by his grace, his mercy. See, it's nothing that we do ourselves. It's nothing that we have accomplished on our own. The gift of salvation that moves us from enemy of God to family of God is also available to all who will repent and believe in Jesus Christ as their all-sufficient savior. I mean that is the good news that we carry with us. And we only can carry it if we know that it's been done. For us. And this is precisely the profound reminder that Paul gives to us here in verses 5 through 13. Let's look there again. Verse 5, we read, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Let's stop right here. I mean, here we see this contrast of. This law, right? So Paul here uh, quotes Leviticus 18.5, where it says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. It's the Lord speaking here. Or in other words, he says, if you can follow the rules, if you can follow the law perfectly, if you can accomplish all of these things, then you will live. You follow God's moral law, you do everything right, you will live. Now, that's pretty simple, easy concept for us to understand, right? Very easy. If we do these things, we will live. But see, there's one big problem. None of us can. Not, not one. No one can do this. Nobody can perfectly fulfill the demands of God's law. Uh, I'm going to make a guess here. Okay, I were if I were to guess uh, that you were to ask a hundred people here in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, if they were a Christian, um, I would say that probably eighty to ninety percent of them would say yes. Okay, I'm just this is a rough estimate. I have not done any research to to uh, st- uh, to stand by uh, my pr- my claim here, but. I would also then add to that that I believe that probably about half of them would likely say when you ask them, well, how do you know that you're a Christian, that a, we'll say a large majority would say, I do more good than I do wrong, right? You know, I, I do more good things than I do bad things, or, you know, I'm not as bad as this person, or... Or, or maybe, you know, I'm not quite as, as bad as I could be. But oftentimes, salvation in a lot of people's minds is equated to what? To good works. How good we are. What I have done that others have not. What, what they have done that I have not. It's oftentimes what people think of here. But Paul's already reminded us in Romans three twenty three, right? For, all, if you know it, all. All have sinned. And because of their falling, what do they do? They fall short of the glory of God. Every man, woman, child. Everything in between. It falls short of the requirements of the law. We cannot Do good enough to accomplish the right standing necessary to stand in front of God. We fall short of God's glorious standard. And so this is the universal problem. From from Israel, from Paul's address to Israel here, thinking through that, through the the Old Testament, we, we've seen, right, if you've been at men's Bible study, women's Bible study, we've been walking through Genesis. And what have we seen over and over again? God's kindness, his graciousness, but what, is hap- what happens every time? Israel fails. They fail. We can't measure up to the law. But for some reason, our minds think we can. We think we can do something. See, Israel is somewhat of a mirror for us. It's somewhat of a okay. Hey, you know, oftentimes we think like, man, they were crazy. I can't believe they did this. Well, guess what? We would too. We do too. We do the same thing. We continue to have this idea. See, we are Israel. We're trying to do things our own way. We often resist God's rule. We come up with better plans for ourselves. We think we've got it all figured out, right? We think we can do better than what is given to us in his word. We try to do better on our own. And there's just so many people in the world that live this way. Like I said before, right, I'll just do more good than bad. Maybe it's I I give a lot of money away. You know, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, you know, I, I know I, I neglect all of my responsibilities as a husband, father, friend, as a local church member, and I just spend 95 hours a week working, but I'm giving some money away. So, so that, that takes care of it all. No. We must remember the point of the law It's to show our weakness. It's not that we can do something in order to earn something. The law shows our weakness. It shows our inability to achieve righteousness on our own. So Paul says there's the righteousness by the law. Those that try to do enough, try to work their way to God. But then... There's the righteousness by faith. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now there's another righteousness that we're reminded of here that's not based on anything that you can do. It's not based on any works that we can produce. There is nothing that humans can do to conjure up to create true righteousness. What do we see here? It's by faith. It's faith in Christ. And then verses 8 through 9, but what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Paul is now showing that when God gave the law to Moses, he had something else in mind even. He even had something else in mind. Everything was a foreshadow of righteousness by faith in Christ. He said that that was even a foreshadow. We, we know that that cannot be accomplished here. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. You believe in your being, your heart, your core that what? God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Basically, what this profession and confession is is that this man Jesus Christ was the God man who came to rightly save those who were lost then Paul reiterates the truth truth in logical order here to ensure that there is no confusion in the process provided look at verse 10 with me he says, for the, with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Once again, the heart is what? One's being. So with the heart, one believes. And then with the, the mouth, one confesses what has happened to them. See? A heart becoming new is a supernatural work of God. It, it is something that happens by divine intervention. He takes the heart of stone, that heart that is just in opposition, in enmity towards God, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. He, he turns, amen, he, he turns us from enemies to friends. And then, because of this supernatural belief, because it's something that God has done, what does the text tell us? That we are then justified, and justification means a declaration of right standing. It is a legal term. If I were to, uh, if you were in court and I was a judge, and you were to come forward with a charge that you were just caught red-handed in, but I, I uh, slam that gavel and I say not guilty. See that's us we are fully guilty but through Christ through the regeneration of our hearts we are declared justified not guilty and not only are we forgiven then we have imputed righteousness so it's as if we never even sinned this is what God has done for us and then that interchange, so something then happens, right? So then with the mouth, one confesses what has happened. We say, I believe. <laughs> I believe in this Jesus. This radical declaration that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus' words remind us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We read that in Matthew twelve thirty four. Basically saying that whatever your heart generates, your mouth declares. That's how it happens. Then Paul punctuates the simplicity of the gospel in verse 11. Look there with me. He says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. See, Put to shame as a euphemism for being found guilty at the final judgment. So we are seeing some eschatological uh, last days, the end times language here, telling us that in the end times, in our final judgment, that when we stand before our Maker, which everyone will, those that have this righteousness by faith will be declared not guilty. That's our promise. That is our hope. We'll say, We are His. Then in verses 12 through 13, right, we get this kind of finalize this profound reminder that the salvation just spoken about is available for everyone. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Then in verse 13 we read, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will Be saved. What does he bestow? His leftovers? The crumbs? No, his riches. The riches of the creator are bestowed to those who call on him. Christian, do you understand this reality? Do you understand what has been afforded to you On your behalf, by our Savior, the riches of the Lord are available to all then who call upon his name, to anyone. This is the free offer of the gospel. We shout, we proclaim, we herald this beautiful reality that all who call upon the name of the Lord and be saved see here Paul is quoting Joel 2:32 Old Testament prophet right where he says and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved I mean really what Paul is doing here once again remember he has a specific thing in mind we're just pulling we're extracting application for us today but here he's saying that God's plan was that the Jews and Gentiles Would be saved. This is not Plan B. This is God's plan. God didn't change His mind. He called a people from the beginning, before the foundation of the earth. That's what Ephesians tells us. Now it's important to take note here, especially that the hostility between the Jews and Gentiles was massive. I mean, they they just didn't like avoid each other at the, the store. They hated one another. It was so massive, there was no, dis- the, the, the no distinction here has some very massive implications. And these times, the Jews were even prevented by a physical barrier from entering into the temple. Uh, one um, historian, Josephus, he, he says that it was about a five-foot-tall barrier, and there was signs around it that said Gentiles cannot enter if you do then you will die. So, like, stay out. We're God's people. You do not belong here. So now that Paul is saying here that there is no distinction, Jew and Gentile are included in this plan. I mean, this is a massive declaration. But God does what man cannot do, doesn't he? I mean, think about your own story. Think about your own salvation. Think about those that you may know that have been brought into the family of God only by God's grace. See, God rescues and reconciles a people that are hopeless on their own. God sends his only son to do what only he can do. And this is a profound reminder. And then, after Paul lays out this wonderful plan of salvation to his reader, he then tells us there's something that must be done in order for people to know this wonderful gift of salvation exists for them. And then we see our second observation here our God given responsibility. Our God given responsibility. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me. So, how then? they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news very quickly after this profound reminder of the good news of the gospel, the free offer of salvation for those that would repent and believe in Jesus Christ, Paul provides us with some very logical reasoning here. He gives us this kind of logical reasoning here in the form of some rhetorical questions as we see our God-given responsibility to preach, and this is translated from the word that means proclaim, It's not just the pulpit ministry, those that preach. Now, that is a portion of it. But this word would mean for those that would proclaim the gospel. Listen, God's plan of salvation, God's plan for the gospel to go forth is through the proclamation of his word. Mouse proclaiming what has happened. Everybody understand that? We we must speak. We must use our words. Charles Spurgeon once said We are not called to proclaim philosophy and metaphysics, but the simple gospel man's fall, his need of new birth, forgiveness through the atonement, and salvation as the result of faith. These are our battle axe and weapons of war, Ugh. weapons of war, that's what we take into battle, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no plan A, or this is plan A, there is no plan B, Mark 16, 15, right? And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. We have been given a responsibility from God. We are to go proclaim the gospel. There was a very popular quote. I don't know if it still is uh, popular and going around, but it was uh, that uh, it says, Preach the gospel at all times, and sometimes, when necessary, use words. Um, And and I get it, great sentiment. Uh, I get it. Yes, our lives should model Christ-likeness to those around us. We should uh, should make sure that everything we are doing uh, represents God and who we are as a member, a covenant member of his family. I get that. But listen, words are absolutely necessary. They are necessary in order to put forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. We must speak. We, we must share. We must proclaim what Jesus has done on sinners' behalf. I mean, this is the, I mean, this is the crux of this passage here. And Listen, I know bro- uh, gospel proclamation isn't always easy. No, it's not the easiest thing to do. But listen, there is no unsubscribe button to this message we got to keep seeing it over and over and over and over again. We need to be told that we must proclaim. We must share the good news of what Christ has done. We need to see this. We need to read this time and time again. And the order is simple and easy, right? Here's what Paul says. Look at it with me. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? A person has to believe something in order to call on something. They don't call on what they don't believe in when it comes to salvation here, true salvation. And then he says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So basically saying you cannot believe in something that you have not heard about. We must hear about this good news in order to respond to what is being preached. And then he goes on. How are they to hear without someone preaching? So how is this going to happen if no one proclaims? How will they hear? How will they know this if you don't tell them about it? And then in verse 15, how are they to preach unless there is sin. sent is action here. We have to be a people that go. We have to be a people that are intentionally looking for ways to go and share the good news of what Christ has done. Uh, as I was preparing this week, um, one night I stopped by the store, uh, and, you know, uh, my wife asked me to grab some things. and I'm in food line, and I'm, I'm in there and I'm just like, all right, I got to really live this, right? And I'm like looking for people. I'm like, okay, hey, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the gospel. Like, I'll do it. I wish I could tell you something dramatic happened. It didn't. But that's okay. But that's the mindset that we should have. We should be intentional in our outlook no matter where we are going. Now, I, I pray that that zeal stays with me. I pray that God would truly Have my heart bent towards that type of eyes and vision everywhere I go. It comes to missions and church planting. We all play a part even. There's the individual, right? We need to make sure that we are being uh, sent. We're going. But then church planting, missions, global, local. Like we all play a part in that collectively as the church. We do that together. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But listen, we must remember that when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to missions, we're either doing one or two things. We're going as the church or we're sending. We are doing that collectively. Not everyone will be called to go to Hungary. We pray that the Lord would stir some hearts of our members that would join grant and raise in their journey to Hungary, they would love that, we would love that, but not everyone is called to Hungary. But you are, if you're a member of this local body, you are called to help to send them. And we will do that as a church, as we provide for them financially, we provide for them uh, through prayer, through needs, through physical needs that may come, we visit when given the opportunity, there's many ways that we would participate in this. But we go, we're sent. Paul reminds the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 5:16, "From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Is that you? Are you in Christ? Well guess what? You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us what? We read this a lot for our uh, pardon of uh, assurance, assurance of pardon in our, after our corporate confession. What are we now? We are now. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the what the message of reconciliation and then he goes on he says therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God brothers and sisters we are ambassadors We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ, imploring people of, on our king's behalf, the one who has sent us, to be reconciled to their creator through Christ. This is our mission. Paul reminds his reader that those who carry forth the gospel message and proclaim this good news of Jesus Christ, they do so beautifully as they display the beauty of the gospel message in a self-sacrificial way. See, he quotes here Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. There's beauty in doing it. There's beauty in going forth. No matter what comes, no matter the hardships one may face, there's beauty to be found. So brother or sister, I must ask you, how are you fulfilling your God-given responsibility? How are you fulfilling this responsibility? How are you proclaiming the good news to those around you? Whether it's in your home, some of you teenagers have said this before, those that know the goodness of God through Christ, it is your job, your responsibility to help to ensure your younger siblings understand that too. You participate there, fathers, mothers, aunts, uncles, you have a responsibility Those that have roommates, those that live on campuses and dorms, neighborhoods, wherever you may find yourself, fulfill the work that has been given to you by your Savior. And then quickly, we'll look at our last two. The first one here is we see an unfortunate refusal, an unfortunate refusal. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So here Paul is speaking about the Jews who have refused to believe believe, even though they have heard. So they've heard, but they've rejected. They've refused. And we all know that's true today. There will be many that refuse the free offer of the gospel. They refuse the offer of salvation. They will reject submission of their lives and obedience to Christ. But we don't give up. We don't stop because of this. We don't say, well, oh, well, we'll we'll just, just give up on them. No, we still pray and we still proclaim the truth they need to Here, you think about it like this, if you knew someone that was dying and they're on their deathbed and there's one pill that they can take that will fully heal them, Uh, one pill, but for some reason they don't like the taste, they will not take this one pill. We don't try to offer them a replacement. We continue, or we should continue, to offer them the one thing that will restore their life. See, brothers and sisters, too many Christians are offering a replacement. They're offering a cheap replacement that can never fulfill what they need. The world needs. We must be ambassadors as we accept this mission that we've been deployed to complete as we proclaim the true, unfiltered gospel of Jesus Christ. That one must repent and they must believe that Jesus is Lord. We don't give up, even when there is refusal. We don't stop. We continue to press on. We pray for them. We proclaim to them. We share with them. And then we're reminded in verse, four, or in verse 17, our fourth observation here, of this steadfast reality. I mean, this is what we can plant our flag in. I mean, this is the the hill we can stand on. This is something that we must all remember when it comes to the topic of deployment. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't give up. This will work. God will fulfill his mission. We don't give up. We trust the work. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. The message will press on. God will accomplish his plan. So, brother and sister, I must ask you, how are you fulfilling mission? Are you living as one who's been deployed? Deployed? You know, currently, as a church, we have some local uh, partnerships that we're working with. We're, once again, Grant and Raise, Uh, Kat, our missionary that we support in Sweden, that we care for there, uh, who just a few months ago gave an update. Also, the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center, Uh, they do some great work locally, and we are uh, heavily heavily invested in them. Also, future pastors, those that may be called to the ministry. We want to invest in them. We want to uh, ensure that we are training and sending church planters, those that may be called to the work of the ministry full-time. But also individually, each one of us gathered here today It's a job to do. Now leave us with a quote to ponder as we think about that responsibility. C.T. Studd, you've probably heard this before, he once said in a song, actually says it, only one life till soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. May we remember that as we Allow the Lord to lead us and guide us as we fulfill the mission given to us by our King. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you provided a way for us to be reconciled to you. Lord, help us to not neglect the mission to which we've been called. Help us to remember that there is only one thing that will last, and that is what is done for Christ. So help us to be committed to that reality. Help us to be committed to the proclamation of the gospel wherever you may have us. Help us to be a church that evangelizes near neighbor and nation. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.